so let's jump right into John 17, John chapter 17. Um, I'm going to be reading a couple different translations today. How many can guess what I'm going to be reading out of? What translation? Passion translation. Anybody know us? what other translation I love? NASB. Yeah, good job, guys. You guys have listened. Good job. John 17, uh, we're going we're gonna to read the, the last verse of John 17. And just to kind of springboard us into this, uh, just a little context of what's going on. Uh, we know that John 17 is a prayer that Jesus prayed, right? Uh, Jesus said, I, I say nothing but what I hear my Father saying. So that means that John 17 is, is what it sounds like when Abba Father prays. If Abba Father were to pray and you were to hear Abba Father pray, you would, it would sound like John 17. Because Jesus is praying under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He's praying in the heart of the Father. John 17 is the heart of the Father. If you want to know what it sounds like for Abba Father to pray and for him to pour out his heart, read John 17. It's powerful because Jesus would never pray anything contrary to than, than that, was that, that which was on the Father's heart, right? Uh, he prays exactly what is on the Father's heart. Uh, so it's just beautiful to read John 17. Through that lens, it's as if Abba Father were praying himself because they are so one. Okay, so let's read... Uh, we're going to uh, springboard um, right into John 17, 26, and I'm going to be reading this out of the Passion. Surprise, surprise. I have revealed to them who you are, and I will continue to make you even more real to them so that they may experience. Somebody say experience. experience. The gospel is not about us getting a bunch of theological doctrine packed inside of our heads so we can debate with one another about who's right and who's wrong, right. right? It's about life in God is about experiencing the Father and the Son in total union, okay, and your inclusion into that. We'll say more about that. So that they may experience the same endless love that you have for me, for your love will now live in them even as I live in them. So John 17, the longest prayer, the most explicit prayer, the most revealing of the heart of Abba Father, the most revealing prayer of Abba Father, John 17, Jesus prays, I have revealed to them who you are. I will continue to make you even more real to them. That ought to make somebody run a Pentecostal lap across this room. I will make them even more. I will make you even more real to them. Come on now. So that they may experience the same endless love that you have for me. What? Are you kidding me? The same love that Jesus has, the, the Father has for Jesus, he has for you. Do you realize when you get saved, you don't get 99% of Abba's fa Abba Father's love? You don't get 99% righteousness. You get all of the righteousness that is in Christ Jesus to the point that the Bible would call you the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So that they may experience the same endless love that you have for me, for your love will now live in them even as I live in them. I, I would call this verse this what Jesus prayed, I've revealed to them who you are, and I will continue to make you known 
to who I will continue to make you, uh, you real to them. I would call that the declaration, the essence of Jesus' ministry. I would call that the, the very fact that Jesus comes to reveal the Father, that is the essence of Jesus' ministry. The essence of Jesus' ministry was to reveal the Father. It wasn't foremost and foundationally about casting out devils, although he did. It wasn't foremost and foundationally about cleansing the leper, although he did. It wasn't about raising the dead, although he did. His mission in life and continues to be his mission in life as he lives in you is to reveal Abba Father. That is the mission of Jesus. And it's still the mission of Jesus today to reveal Abba Father to you, in you, and through you. I like simplicity. How many like simplicity? I like simple. That's really simple, like Although it's profound in its application, although we have lies of separation that have filled the pulpits of America, although we have lies of who we are and who he is, that, you know, do you know what the fallen mindset is? It's a lie that is contrary to who Abba Father is. Fallenness is rooted in the lie of separation, the lie that he has separated himself from you. And that you've got to get back into cohorts with him by clawing and working your way back into his ranks. Jesus came to show a different way. He came to be the light of the world that would shine the light of union into the, light of dark, into the darkness of separation. He is the light of the world. And I think that he's still layer upon layer revealing Abba Father to humanity. That is still his mission. I'll show you here in a little bit how that is still his mission. So this declaration that Father, I have revealed, them to, uh, I have revealed you to them. And I will continue to make you even more real to them. That is the essence of Jesus' ministry. John 1 says that Jesus is the only one who has seen the Father. It says in John 1, John said he came, he was the only one who has seen the Father. So in other words, before John which is the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, no one had, had actually perceived or seen the Father. Although they saw sides of God, although they had revelations of who God was in different aspects, the foundational revelation of God as Abba Father was not even a thought. And Jesus stepped into the cosmos of fallen identity, fallen mindset, and he comes to declare there is a Father in heaven. Holy is his name. Set apart is his name. And he came to reveal the Father. Jesus knew the Father since the very beginning, but here, here's, the, here's the part I want to point out. Jesus learned the nature of God as it relates to walking his nature out in the midst of the flesh, the folly, and the fallen mindset. Let me say that again. 
Jesus knew the Father since the very beginning. But he learned the nature of God as it relates to walking out his relationship with Abba Father in the midst of fallenness, folly, foolishness, and a fallen mindset. Hebrews 5.8 says that he grew in obedience. He learned obedience by the things that he suffered. See, this is something we forget a lot in the church is about the humanity of Jesus. That's why I love the Chosen series now. I love the, how many watched the Chosen series? It's so raw and real, and it's, it's, it has a human element to it that, uh, that it really speaks to the human heart. You know, you see, your, you, they really highlight, you know, whatever, Peter's bad decision, and we're like, oh, that's me. <laughs> I would be doing what he's doing, you know? You know, we, we see the humanity of the disciples. We see even the humanity of Jesus, and it appeals to the human heart. And this is what ca- Jesus came to associate with was to actually take on flesh and associate with the fallen mindset as it relates to how mankind sees Abba, Father. For that reason, I personally believe that the greatest temptation that Christ faced, listen to me, listen to this. I believe the greatest test that Jesus faced was remaining fascinated and in awe of his father. Because Jesus, the word made flesh, it's the, it's the Greek word sarx, S-A-R-X. It actually means to enter into a state of thinking. Jesus entered into our darkness of our thinking about God that was contrary to who he really was. Jesus stepped into that, and I will say, I personally believe the greatest temptation that Christ faced was remaining fascinated and in awe of his Father and believing that he was the center of Abba's affection. This was the great test that the son had to face. Isaiah 11.3, can you put that up, Rekiah? Isaiah 11.3. Isaiah 11 gives us the sevenfold spirits of God. Seven dimensions of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' life. In verse 3 says this, He will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge. Watch this. I'm going to add a little emphasis here. He will not judge Abba Father by what his eyes see. He will not make a decision apart from Abba Father by what his ears hear. (laughs) 
He will delight in the fear of the Lord. Now, a lot of us hear that and we go, fear, I don't know about that, because we have a Western mindset or a Western definition of fear. I personally wrestle with fear because most of the fear I know is not good fear, right? It's the fear that causes you to run from something. It's the boogeyman under the bed. You know, it's the nightmare we have you know, in, in the night. It's, it's the fear, you know, and all that fear. And so uh, for us as Westerners, it's hard for us to say, okay, the fear of the Lord. It's hard for us to ask for the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. It's hard for us to pray the fear of the Lord. It's hard for us to have an understanding of the fear of the Lord because of our Western mindset of what fear is. A fear that causes us to pull back. I'm afraid of somebody. I'm going to pull back. But the fear of the Lord, I like the way that uh, uh, um, when you look up that, that word fear, it actually means awe or reverence or wonder. So in other words, he will delight in the awe and the wonder of his father. That would be the driving force of Jesus' ministry was the fascination and the awe of his father in the relationship that they shared. And the great test of Jesus was would he remain fascinated and in awe of his father in the midst of, of earthly chaos and unrest? And I think it's still the same question for us today. Will we, re, will we remain fascinated and in awe of who the Father is? Will we remain trusting in who Abba Father is? And I'm going to show you here that that was the great test of the wilderness was his relationship with the Father. This was the great test of Jesus' life. To become unfascinated and doubtful of Abba's nature was the great temp temptation of not just Jesus, but of Adam and of Israel. Numbers 13.33. Did I tell you to get that, Rekiah? Did I tell you to put that up? Good job. Everybody give Rekiah a hand clap today. <laughs> Woo. Somebody get up and walk around. You guys are kind of quiet this morning, so, you know, maybe get up, you know, wave your hand or something. I don't know, but anyway, that's okay. I'm going to preach it anyway, right, Pop? We're going to preach it anyway. I tell my wife, I'm going down swinging on this subject, man. I'm going to preach this till I see him literally face to face, man. I can't wait. Man, this thing has changed my life, man. This thing has wrecked me. Okay, so this was the mindset of the children of Israel. Watch this. Now they're in the wilderness. Now the spies sent out the, the, the spy, or the, 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 the leaders of Israel sent out the spies, and they come back with the report. This is what they say. They're also, we saw the Nephilim, the big guys, the giants, the son of Anak, are part of the Nephilim. And we became, watch this, we became like grasshoppers in our own sight. Don't stop there. And so we were in their sight. There's a revelation here. The way you see yourself is the way the enemy sees you. The way you see yourself in the eyes of Abba Father is the way the enemy sees you. I need to say that again. 
The way you see yourself through the eyes of Abba Father is the way the enemy will see you. If you see yourself inferior to what God calls you to overcome, then, then the enemy will see you the way that you see you. It's called the mirror effect. Psychologists write books about it. It's the basis of counseling. The way that you see yourself is what you project into society. The way you view who you are to him is how you walk out everyday life. The way that you see his love for you determines how you love your spouse. You know, there's a lot of questions in my heart, in our hearts, when we talk about Abba Father and these heavenly realities. It, it, the question is this, how is that practical? Beloved, it's the most practical thing you could ever throw yourself into. The most practical thing you could do is give yourself to, to studying the heart of Abba Father. And I'm not talking about reading a book. There's a lot of people who know scripture who don't know the word. There are so many theologians who know the scriptures, but they don't know the word. I don't want to be a man who knows the scriptures, who can quote 95 verses, but when it comes to leading a prayer meeting, I have no substance to lead a prayer meeting. I have no substance to lead my family out of a crisis identity. I have no, I have no, I have no substance to lead people into an encounter with the Holy Spirit because you can't go where you haven't been. You can't go where you haven't been. That's why it's a kingdom of experience, not intellect. John said, we've touched him. We've heard him. We've held him with our own hands. John's writing from the place of encounter, not information, not intellect. He's writing from the place of encounter. We need sons and daughters who come out of the closet of prayer. That sounds really weird. Who come out of the prayer closet. Who come out of the prayer closet. We need to edit that one, Poison. <laughs> That's where live stream gets you messed up a little bit. It's out there. We see ourselves as inferior, therefore we walk as inferior people. It's not the truth, but it's your truth. It's not the highest truth, but it's your truth. The truth, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. That word truth that Jesus uses there is the reality. In other words, there's a reality that he has about you that maybe you just don't know yet. And Jesus lived in that reality as the beloved son. And that beloved son, that belovedness is what got him tested. That belovedness, son... Beloved son is what got him in trouble. The sonship of Jesus is what got him in trouble. You want to turn a city upside down? Step into identity of belovedness. You want to, you want to transform your family from the inside out? Step into the idea, the reality that you are beloved. 
this was the great temptation of Jesus, was that he, the temptation, would he become unfascinated with the Father? Would he trust the Father? And this is, this plays out in the wilderness temptation. And is why Christ went straight into the wilderness following Abba's declaration of his belovedness. Let's go to uh, Matthew chapter 4. Jeff, can you believe I'm going to another book other than John? It's crazy, man. I didn't know there were other books in the Bible. (laughs) The last six months, I've just been in John, like John, 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 John. It's crazy. Let's start in verse uh, 13 of chapter 3. If you, you can put this up, Rakaia, if, if you don't have it, no worries. Just to give us a little context of what's going on. Uh, so, John, or Matthew chapter, John, Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. Then Jesus left Galilee to come to the Jordan to be baptized by John. When he had waded into the water, John resisted him, saying, Why are you doing this? I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you, yet you have come to be baptized by me. Jesus replied, it is only right to do all that God requires. Then John baptized Jesus, and as Jesus rose up out of the water, the heavenly realm opened up over him, and he saw the Holy Spirit, excuse me, some of that food coming up. He saw the Holy Spirit descend out of the heavens and rest upon him in the form of a dove. Maybe that's the dove that Noah released, and that it was looking for a place of rest, and it finally found a place of rest on Jesus. Then suddenly the voice of the Father shouted from the sky, saying, This is my Son. This is the Son I love. And my greatest delight is in Him. Hmm. I love love how the Passion says he shouted it. This is my beloved Son. This is the son I love, and my greatest delight is in him. Let's go to Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. We're going to move into the uh, NASB. Stay in there. Uh, thank you, Rekiah. Then Jesus was led. So the father just spoke over him. You're my beloved son. Then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, what did father just speak over him? You're my beloved son, right? So right out of the gate, as soon as Jesus is given the word, you're my beloved son, what happens? He's tested according to what? His sonship. See, many of us get prophetic words and we're like, yeah, everything's good. Let's take on the world. But then we're shipwrecked when the next day we're tempted, (laughs) according to that prophetic word. Right? I mean, it said the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. Like, thank you, Holy Spirit. Appreciate that. You could have led me into the throne room. You could have led me to, like, a really cool place. You lead me into the wilderness? Are you kidding me? But Jesus knew who he was. Remember that. If you are the Son of God... Notice he didn't say the beloved son of God, meaning that Satan can't speak belovedness. 
you're, <clears throat> you getting a, revel- a revelation of belovedness is a weapon in your hand, friends. And it's a language that he can't speak. The enemy cannot speak belovedness. Okay, if you are the son of God, I've got to move on. Command that these stones become bread. Verse 4, he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Verse 5, then the devil took him to, to the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you, here we go again, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, on the other hand, it is written, you should not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, this is the third time, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, go Satan, for it is written, you shall, serve, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So twice the enemy tempts, or the the passion says entices him and says, if you're the son of God, twice. He gets this word from the father. Oh, heavens are open. This is like awesome. This is like the best worship concert ever. (laughs) Like heavens open, father, you know, dove, you know, all of that. And then he gets tested twice if you're the son of God. In other words, the testing of the wilderness was designed by the Father through the leading of the Holy Spirit to test if he would really believe that word that was just spoken over him about being the beloved son. I'll be as bold to say that every temptation, everything that you go through in life is designed to fortify and to test if you truly believe what he says about you. I'll say that again. Every test, circumstance, situation that you go through, especially the negative negative ones, are designed and allowed by Abba Father to test, do you really believe that you are my beloved son or daughter? Even the enemy knew this. If you, if, if, you truly are who your father just said you are, you'll do these things. There was four temptations, or three temptations there. Number one was the temptation. You can write these down. The first one was the, the, the temptation of self-preservation. He said, the tempter, uh, Matthew says, the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, it, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Jesus refused to turn something, turn the stone into something it was designed not to be. I said it this week. The Father refuses to turn you into someone else you're not. 
When you try to become someone that you're not, you are coming against the design of the Father for you to be who you are and how you are. The, 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 the temptation of self-preservation, Jesus overcame it. That's where you shout. He associated himself with self-preservation. Would he trust the timing, the process of the Father? And we don't talk a lot about the process of Jesus. And I don't have a whole lot of things to say about that other than, guys, he, he was a human. He had to grow and mature. <laughs> I mean, he had a job as a carpenter. I think it's interesting. <laughs> I was thinking this the other day. It's interesting that Jesus never taught, never teaches about the kingdom using carpentry. He used agriculture, seed, yeast, all of these things. He never taught. He never said the kingdom of God is like a house that you build. It's never like a piece of wood that you chop down and build a foundation. Maybe, I don't know, maybe Jesus didn't like his job. Some of y'all are like, how dare he? Come on, man. He was a man, right? Jesus never stubbed his toe. Really? Jesus, you know, never spilled a drink at the dinner table. Really? Jesus was a human being. He probably stubbed his toe. He probably didn't cuss like some of us do when we stub our toe. I don't, you know, he didn't do that. He knew who he was. <laughs> he was a person. He dealt with stuff like you and me. He didn't come just to die, to, to hope that we can just attain just like a percentage of who, of what he did. He wanted us to walk in the fullness of who he is. As he is, so are we in this world. John says, he came to show what it means for a man empowered by the Spirit to walk out the Father's intention. But you can do. You can do that. The second thing he overcame. Verse 5, it says the devil took him along the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will give his angels orders concerning you. Jesus said to him, on the other hand, it is written, you shall not put your Lord God to the test. Jesus passed the test of self-promotion. Self-preservation, self-promotion. Philippians 2.9 says that therefore God has exalted him. Verses before, it talks about that God, being man in human form, went low. He humbled himself unto death, even death on a cross. He humbled himself. He didn't have to promote himself. Jesus didn't have to jump from the temple because he, he didn't have to throw himself down from the temple. He would be the one who would actually throw the temple system down. 
in time. He overcame self-preservation, self-promotion, self-provision. I know none of y'all are guilty of this stuff. I know it's just me. How many is guilty of self-promotion? Right? I love what God's doing in terms of like ministry and stuff, but I can almost puke scrolling through Facebook, everyone bragging about how that they've raised the dead and healed the sick. A lot of it's like evangelistically speaking anyway. We raised 60 people from the dead today. No, you didn't. I know some of these people. I'm getting really critical. I'm sorry. Mom, you told me not to be critical growing up, so help me, help me. I don't want to be, I, I just, I just, we ain't got time for self-promotion, right? I need to trust the Father. You need to trust the Father. No, no room for self-promotion. This is, this is what the Bible calls maturity. Jesus overcame this. Tempted with self-provision, self-promotion, self-preservation. He came as a man to identify with us in these things. And it says after these temptations, it said that the enemy withdrew from him. And look, waiting for the opportune time to tempt him again. How many ever read that before? said he left Jesus after the three temptations, and it said he, he awaited for the, for the opportune time to tempt him again. I personally believe that the time that the enemy waited for was on the cross. He tempted Jesus with self-preservation, self-promotion, self-provision, and then I believe the opportune time was on the cross when Jesus... In his last days upon planet earth, on the cross, said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In other words, I believe the enemy was whispering to Jesus on the cross, your father has forsaken you. Just as he whispered to Jesus in Matthew chapter 4. I believe he's whispering on the cross to Jesus. The Father's left you. The Father's forsaken you. The Father's rejected you. Has anybody ever heard that whisper before? Anybody ever heard that whisper of the evil one, Diabolos, saying, the Father has forsaken you. Yeah, he, he loves Misty, but Robbie, he's rejected you. Forsaken you. And Jesus, it's actually a prophetic. Jesus is quoting a psalm that David wrote. It's the first verse of Psalm 22. Psalm 22 is a prophetic declaration of what's going on in the life of Jesus and the Father while Jesus is on the cross. And the church has taken that verse and we built this whole, one of the spiritual laws that you will be taught 
in modern evangelicalism is that you're separated from God. It's one of the four laws that will tell you that you are separated from God. And the basis is if, if, if God the Father forsook Jesus on the cross, how much more will he forsake you? How much more will he separate himself from you? If you're not Jesus, then surely to goodness you don't have the status that Jesus has. So how much more will he reject you in your weakness, in your frailty, in your sin? How much more will he reject you? But beloved, we got to read on past verse 1. We got to read on past verse 1. Can I read Psalm 22 to you? Can I read this to you? If you don't believe me, I'll show you. Psalm 22. I'm in Revelation, Lord Jesus. Verse 1. Oh, my God, my God. Do you realize that Jesus didn't say, Father, my Father, why hast thou forsaken me? Have you ever thought about that? Why did Jesus not say, Father, my Father, why have you forsaken me? My, my humble opinion is I think that Jesus was identifying with Adam in the fact that Adam did not know God as Father, only as God, Elohim. Jesus was associating with the frailty and the weakness of Adam and all mankind following, Israel and all, those, all of mankind up until that time saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He didn't say, my father, my father. He was feeling he was hearing the whisper of the evil one in his ear saying, you're forsaken, you're rejected, you're, you're, you're separated from God. Jesus said, by God, I'm going to dive into the depths and the abyss of the darkness of the lie of separation, and I'm going to bring Adam out. I'm going to bring Adam out. I'm going to bring Peter out. I'm going to bring Judas out. I'm going to bring all of them out of the darkness. Hmm. Why would you abandon me now? Verse 2, why do you remain distant, refusing to answer my tearful cries in the day? I wish I could read all this to you, but I'm going I'm uh, to jump on to verse, verse 19. Lord, my God, please don't stay far away, for you are my only might and strength. Won't you come quickly to my rescue? Verse 20, give me back my life. Save me from this violent death. Save my precious one and only from the powers of these demons. Verse 22, I will praise your name before all my brothers as my people gather. Uh, I will praise you in their midst. Lovers of Yahweh, praise him. Let all the true seed of Jacob glorify him with all your praises. Stand in awe of him, all you princely people, the offspring of Israel. Adam, come on, Adam. Praise him, because I'm getting ready to tell you something right now. Verse 24, for he has not despised the, my cries of deep despair. He's my first responder to my sufferings. He did not look the other way when I was in pain. Adam, I don't look the other way. I don't look the other way. I don't look the other way, Adam. 
I know your cousins, your uncles, and your aunts all look the other way, but beloved, I don't look the other way when you're in pain. The incarnation proves that he comes to us in our deepest darkness and our pain. And in the feeling of rejection and isolation and abandonment, he comes to you time and time again. God, I feel like I've been preaching this for like my whole life, but I'm okay. I'm okay with telling the, telling the church of how loved they are. By, God, by the help of God, I will go down swinging, telling the church, you're so beloved. If you'll just give your life to comprehend with all the saints the height, the length, the depth, and the length of his love. <laughs> he didn't look the other way when I was in pain. He was there all the time listening to the song of the afflicted. He didn't just die for you. He died as you. When you feel those whispers of rejection and pain and isolation and abandonment, he has associated himself with all of those things. It was about 10 years ago. I didn't know if I could tell this story, but I'm going to. About 10 years ago, most of you all know I have my own little business where I buy cars for other dealerships and for A&A Auto Sales, the best car place in the world, and others. And I had this small business. And about 10 years ago, I was uh, buying, as I was at the auction buying cars, it was me and another buyer for this one dealership. There was one dealership, two different buyers. And for the longest time, we would work it out to where, you know, I would give him kind of the first shot of a car. He had been with this company longer, so I was just kind of there to help, whatever. And one day, the other buyer came to me and made it very clear that I wouldn't be buying for this dealership. I said, okay, that's fine, whatever. You know, I, I, it wasn't fine. I was pretty mad when he talked to me and hurt. and You know, like I thought we had a deal. We was going to work this out. He said, you know, he just, very arrogant, very condescending, just, you know, listen, this is my field, pretty much, and you just got to move out of the way. And so I thought, okay, whatever. Every week, he would kind of just remind me of, of that and just really kind of put me down and just ran me through the mud. I don't know what happened in his heart towards me. Something shifted, something changed, and something began to change in me. Towards this man, very, I got very angry to the point. One day we almost got into a fist fight. I'm not supposed to tell you that as a preacher. I know none of y'all ever got close to a fist fight or ever got in a fist fight, but I almost did. Just pushed me so far, Ryan. You know, you just, I was so bitter in my heart towards this guy. And, so I'm, I, I, in my heart, I said, you know what? 
I'm going to make it heartless every, every time I see them. And so every week I would rub them the wrong way. And this is, I'm just, can I be real with you guys? Is that okay? Right. And then I was hurting inside. And I've told you guys about the test about, 15, I don't know, 18 years ago where I went through a, a season where I literally hated someone. I hated their presence in the same room. God set me free, but I found myself in the same situation, hating this man. Disgust. Just in my insides were just, oh. How many knows unforgiveness is a poison that you drink thinking you're going to destroy the other person? It's a poison you drink thinking you're going to teach the other person a lesson. I'm going to teach them. That's what I thought. I'm going to teach him. And inside I was dying. And finally one day I said, God, I, I don't know how, how we got down this road. This is weeks in. And I'm, I'm this far from love. I am. The last thing to be said about Robbie was he's loving this guy. And then one morning, on the way to the auction, in his kindness, he came to me. And he asked me, Robbie, did I not love you when you hated me? I don't know if that's how he said it, but that's how I heard it. That's how I hear it today. He said, Robbie, did you, how did I love you? When you hated me. And it took some time. But within a couple of weeks, the Lord would not leave me alone. And finally, I said, Okay, I'm tired of arm wrestling with you, Father. <laughs> finally went to him and made amends. I was in Indianapolis about, I don't know, two or three months ago. Me and Dad went to minister at a, a little house of prayer up there in Terre Haute, Indiana. And there, I, taught, I taught on the, the, the dance, the perichoresis, the union. What I've been teaching here, I just pretty much told them, repeated myself. I feel like I do that a lot. <laughs> I feel like I say the same thing over every week. And uh, there was a lady who came up at the end said, Robbie, said, I've, I've really struggled. I love what you're saying, but I've really struggled to get close to the Father. She got real blunt. She's like, this is what she said. She said, I like Jesus. I like the Holy Spirit, but I don't know about the Father. She's, then she started sharing her testimony how that her earthly father had abused her, misused her. She felt abandoned, rejected, isolated, alone. She said, I've, been, I've, I've had people pray over me. I've had people try to cast stuff out. I've had counseling. I've had this. I've had that. She said, I don't know what to do. I think you were there for part of it, Dad. I would try to pray over her and 
and she'd just keep talking. There was this restless thing in her. And I, I'm in that, I'll be honest with you, I didn't know what to say to her. She had some very good answers to what I would say. How many of you ever tried to minister to someone, you're like, oh, Jesus loves you, and that doesn't fix it? Right? And you mean well, but it doesn't fix the situation. I literally, inside Jeff, I said, Holy Spirit, you got to help me. I don't know what to say. This is awkward. <laughs> My back's up against the wall, and I'm supposed to be helping her. I said, Holy Spirit, you got to help me. I didn't say it, but inside I said it. My eyes were probably this big around. She has every right not to see Abba Father the way that she should see Abba Father through the eyes of beloved, through the eyes of Jesus the Son. And all of a sudden, this picture flashes in my, my in my mind, and I saw Jesus with his arms around this lady crying with her. He said, that's me right now. See, I wanted to fix the situation. All the men in this room will probably know what I'm thinking right. I want to fix, I want to fix that woman. I want to fix that situation. I want her to see Abba Father the way that maybe I see Father or the way she should. And, and Holy Spirit flashes in my, the projector screen of my mind and shows me Jesus with his arms around her weeping. He said, that's her. Tell her I'm weeping with her. I'm suffering with her. I said, ma'am, can I tell you something? I had to stop her from talking. She's talking the whole time. I said, I feel like Jesus is weeping with you. And I don't feel like revelation is going to come any other way than by showing you that in your darkness, in the lie of separation, abandonment, rejection, isolation, he is crying with you. In that moment, I felt it. I don't know if she felt it. She said, Robbie, are you kidding me? She said, nobody's ever told me that. Nobody's ever told me. They've just told me I got to do this. I got to do five steps and I got to try harder and I got to fast more and I got to pray more. I said, ma'am, I'm sorry. I begin to apologize for the spirit of religion. I said, I'm sorry that religion's tried to fix you, including me. I said, I'm sorry. I said, I repent on behalf of the church. I'm sorry. Please know that he's weeping with you. He feels the pain. He feels the isolation. He feels the abandonment. He feels the rejection. He's weeping with you. I left thinking, oh my God, what just happened? How many knows when the anointing lifts, your mind kicks in? You're like, oh, what did I say? 
You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, Lord, I've offended this late. You know, your mind starts kicking in. She messaged me like two days later. She said, Robbie, I'm starting to feel freedom. A freedom I've never known. See, we want Jesus to fix everything. And sometimes he just wants to cry with us. He wants to get down in the dirt. He wants to get down and associate himself with your rejection. And he says, you know what? I've overcome all that stuff. I associate myself with my God. My God, why have you forsaken me? The wilderness is a glimpse of what it looks like when the one who knows their identity comes up against the one who doesn't. Christ, knowing who his father was and who he was in him, remained true and trusting in the way of Abba Father. He took the test that Adam took, but better yet, he passed the test that Adam didn't. I heard a guy say this week, Damon Thompson, he's talking about one of his professors. He said, a lot of you have heard grace this way. Grace is Jesus, or is you taking the test, and Jesus over your shoulder going, I wish you'd get it right. And then every once in a while, because he's good, he'll give you an answer to that test. That's what a lot of the church thinks grace is, is Jesus is in our ear going, I wish you'd get your act together. You should have studied. You should have prayed. You should have prepared. When he says, no, grace is Jesus jerking you out of that chair and taking the test himself. Can I read something else to you? The wilderness test was crucial, and it would be an indicator of how the son would live before the father. The refusal and the radical obedience to remain true in fascination and awe of Abba Father was a template for Jesus remaining three and a half years on earth. It was, in a sense, the act of the word, putting his foot down concerning the Father. It was like the Son was saying, this is how I hear. This is how I hear kind of what Jesus was saying in his refusal and radical obedience to not let anything hinder his view of Abba Father. I hear him saying, listen, Satan, you're not going to mess this thing up. My dad and I have been dancing in the power of the Spirit since day one. And there is no power in heaven, on earth, or in hell that will separate the love that he has in me. I was there when you pulled back, when you pulled a slick one on Adam, causing him to believe something contrary to my and my father's nature. I heard you whisper in empty entitlement. I saw you lure Adam into the illusion of separation. Adam didn't know I was there, but I was. So let me tell you, I'm getting ready to show you what it means for a son to be fully confident in his father's embrace. I'm getting ready to unveil my glory to the entire world, and you cannot stop me. While you, Adam, and all of the entire cosmos may not know who they are, I do. And because I am, I will do what my father wants. I'm bringing this thing back. 
For this reason, the son would be the full and the final authority to bring sons and daughters in their full, into their full intended purpose of knowing Abba in fullness from the inside out. This is why Jesus could say, Father, I've revealed them to you, and I will continue to reveal them to you. He had the authority to say that and to pray that in John 17. Through test after test, he proved that a man filled with the spirit of belovedness, empowered by the words of Abba Father, could walk out the will and the pleasure of God on earth as it is in heaven. And here's the good thing. We now have the mind of Christ. We have the Son living on the inside of us, the full image of the Father. This is the hope of glory. The glory of knowing Abba Father in fullness is Christ in us. Romans 8, 14 through 16. Throw this up, Rakaia. I know I have went over my time, and I'm sorry. Can you guys forgive me? I spoke on forgiveness a minute ago, so you have to. The mature children of God are those who are moved by the impulses of the Holy Spirit. Other versions will say led by the Holy Spirit. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to test his sonship. And you did not receive the spirit of religious duty leading you back into the fear of never being good enough, but you have received the spirit of full acceptance enfolding you into the family of God, and you will never feel orphaned, for as he rises up within us, our spirits join him in saying the words of tender affection, Beloved Son, for the Holy Spirit makes God's fatherhood real to us as he whispers into our innermost being, you are God's beloved child. Galatians 4, 6 says this, and I'm closing on this, I promise, I think. And so that we would know for sure that we are his true children, God released the spirit of sonship into our hearts, moving us to cry out intimately, my father, you're our true father. Let's stand, and I want to I want to pray this over us as we close. And I know that.